In the year 536 BC, God moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to allow the exiled Israelites to return to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding the temple. The return of the Israelites was God fulfilling the prophet Jeremiah's words spoken many years before. Once in Jerusalem, the Israelites rebuilt the altar and laid the foundation of the temple. However, as God began to move, opposition began to arise. Because of this rising opposition and the improving living conditions, the Israelites quickly became complacent. In 520 BC, God sent another prophet, Haggai, to his people. His words, spoken over 2,500 years ago, still have meaning for us today. Good morning. It's a great video, isn't it? Seeing children who come to the realization of uh, who Jesus is is always awesome. And uh, I just don't believe the lie that they have to go out and go the way of the world and then come back to God. I think that they can find Christ at an early age and live for him every day of their life um, uh, and and just see their lives be used um, as a testimony of God's greatness. So I'm very thankful for that. A couple of things I do want to uh, bring out and point out out of that video. One is that uh, the baptisms are this coming Sunday, June 1st. If you haven't been baptized as a believer in Christ, um, we would love to baptize you on that day. Um, get your information, contact you, uh, get that set up with you. Um, and you can do that at our next steps tables today as you leave, or you can go online and do that. We'd love for that to take place. Also, um, I just want to highlight our children's area a little bit and those folks who uh, do such a great job week in and week out uh, serving those kids and pouring Christ into them. I'm very thankful for them. And also that this summer we really need some people to help serve in that area. And so if you would pray about it and, and, and be willing to sign up for that, you can do that also at the next steps table. But we know that it's making a difference. And I mean, if you have children, I would encourage you to get them in those environments. I know sometimes it's intimidating. I know sometimes that they may not want to go at first. But the thing I can tell you is that they're getting Jesus on their level. And just like you are in this environment, we want that for your children. Um, even in the baby's room, they're being prayed over. Um, they, they, they hold Bibles up and they, they start teaching them what the Bible is, even as infants and praying over them and praying that God would work in their lives. So I would encourage you, uh, to take advantage of that and, and even to begin will be willing to pray and serve in that area. Um, I want to uh, say again, thank you. I know Sean mentioned this, but thank you to John and Matt, um, for their service here. Uh, John's been here almost since the beginning of the church. Yeah, they're, they're awesome folks. Um, definitely going to be missed, but both feel called away. Um, and so we, we just, uh, man, are so thankful for them and their hearts and, um, you know, uh, Natalie's heart and all that she's poured into this church. And it's just been a good time with them. We hate to see them leave, but know that God has great plans for them in the future. Last thing, a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, a little housekeeping things this morning, I guess, as announcements. But one that's very important to me and very personal to me is I do want to say again how thankful I am for those who are serving in the military, how grateful I am for the sacrifices that so many people have made and are making families as well as um, servicemen and women who are all over the world right now defending our freedom. Um, one of the great highlights, I guess, or things that meant the most to me about that Poland trip that I was able to take is being able to get close to where a closer 
to where my grandfather served in World War II. My, my grandfather served, my dad served in the military for several years. And just to be able to get closer, my, my grandfather never went to Poland, but knowing I was that much closer to where he served, where he fought, where he went and sacrificed was really awesome. And so I don't take that lightly. And, and I hope that we won't either, but that we'll appreciate everything that's been done so that we can have our freedom and liberty that we do have. So very thankful for them. Today, we're going to uh, continue or actually wrap up this series. Um, the time has come and we've been looking at the book of Haggai. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to be um, in Haggai ch- uh, chapter two, beginning in verse 10. And I have absolutely loved this series. I love the fact that God spoke through a man 2,500 plus years ago um, so that it could bless us today so that he could teach us truth through it today, that he could challenge us today as we go out and begin to build um, his kingdom, his church. Um, the people, the body of Christ in the same way that Haggai was encouraging these Israelites to build the temple of God. Um, It's just been an incredible book. If you've never really studied, I would encourage you to study it. It's uh, absolutely incredible. Um, Really dig into it. There's so much more that we couldn't cover in this series that you'll find and it'll bless you. But today we're going to continue that. We're going to be in verse or chapter two, as I said. And to begin with, let me read verses 10 through 14 um, to set it up just a little bit. Remember, these are the Israelites that have come out of Babylon. They've been taken into captivity uh, many years ago. The king of Persia is now ruling and they've come back from captivity and come back with the purpose of rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed when they were taken into captivity. And so they're there to rebuild this. They begun rebuilding, but then they, they got sidetracked. They began to have some opposition come in that, that caused them to quit. Then they got preoccupied with building their own houses and, and uh, their priorities got really messed up. God was no longer the center of their lives. And so um, the temple actually lay dormant uh, without any building going on for about 16 years. And then God raises up Haggai a prophet to come in and begin to speak truth uh, to these people and begins to sort of give them a kick in the rear end to get them going again. And so that's where we're at. We're, we're coming into the closing. Last week, remember, we talked about how the best is always yet to come in, in, when we're in Christ and how God had a plan for these people, how he encouraged them to keep moving, that better days were ahead. And this week, um, it's a little bit of a shift, but I think it's still so, so important to where we are right now in the life of our church and just in our own walk with Christ. So let's read verses 10 through 14 and we'll jump in. It says in verse 10, on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated or, or separated out to God or holy before God? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body, the Jews um, had uh, the, the part of their beliefs was that if you touch a dead body, you become unclean. There were so many different things you could do to become unclean. And he says, if you come into contact with or is defiled by contact with a dead body, and he touches one of these things that was consecrated, basically, does it become defiled? Yes, said the priest, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer here is defiled. So let's pray and we'll talk about this. Lord, we thank you for um, this morning. We thank you for your grace. I thank you for 
um, the sacrifices that have been made so that we can be here, that I can even stand on the stage and proclaim Jesus. God, there's so many places where I would be shot or have my head cut off just for proclaiming your word, God. I thank you for the freedom we have. I pray we would take advantage of that, God, that we would appreciate it, that we would be thankful for it. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. I pray that your word, um, God, this good seed would go into our hearts right now. I pray anything that's hindering us from opening our hearts to receive this, God, um, would be removed um, through the power of your spirit. And God, I pray that this seed would sink deeply into our hearts and produce good fruit in our lives, Lord. Um, that it would not be hindered from growing and that fruit for your kingdom would grow in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, do a great work here as we talk about your word and as we lift Jesus up now. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I heard about a friend of ours uh, this week, and some of you may have read this on Facebook. It's quite funny. But um, their little girl, uh, they were doing a devotional with her this week. And as they were doing the devotional, the devotional was about bringing everything like you have to Jesus, like saying that Jesus is more important than anything else that we have. And so they went and had the little girl go get five of her toys and bring them into the room where they were um, basically doing the devotional. And they were five, they totally get the five favorite toys she has. So she comes in, brings the toys in and she says, you know, here's my toys. And they said, if Jesus came back tonight, would you be willing to give him these toys? Well, she starts crying, right? <laughs> I don't want that toy. And they said, no, 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 understand this would be a good thing. And, and so they, they try to talk to her about this and, and, and get her ready, you know, to understand that Jesus is more important than anything else we have in life. And so she goes away and then, um, that night she goes to bed and she wakes up the next morning. Her dad says, did you, did you sleep well last night? She's like, no, I didn't sleep good at all. And he said, why? He said, she said, because I was so afraid that Jesus was really coming back to our house. And he said, well, if Jesus came to our house, that would be a good thing. And he goes, no, she goes, no, daddy, I don't want him to take my toys. And so the whole thing now is like, she's got this whole thing kind of misconstrued and I think they've got it straightened out, but this whole thing sort of misconstrued in thinking that Jesus is basically a toy thief, right? That he just wants to come and take. And the reality of it is that Jesus comes to, to give us life and give us life abundantly, right? But the whole thing with her is in the thing I want you to see is she kind of missed the point of that whole story, that whole devotional, right? Um, and so the, the thing that happens with us many times and the thing that was happening with these um, first Jewish believers is that they were really missing the point in this time of why they were building the temple and Haggai was calling them back and, and trying to help them remember why they were called to build the temple in the first place. They weren't just sent to build a building. Remember the temple was representative of God being in the center of their life. And so he's calling them and telling them, listen, um, understand that this is not the point of just building brick and mortar. The point is that God is at the center of your life and that you become a people who glorifies him, that you're coming more like him, that he, he is being represented among you, that he's not just a building that you go to that looks good, but he is the center of your life and controls everything, that he is the point of your life. And I was reading that this week and I've loved studying this book because what I realized is that often happens to us, doesn't it? That we get really confused. There's many misconceptions that we begin to have about God, about church, about life, about our religious life. Because here's the thing that begins that we begin to miss the point. We begin to think that it's about something else other than God being at the center of our life. Jesus being that one that is the most important that governs everything else that we have. And what I wanted to do today is talk 
to you about a few things that I see in this text that I believe applies so perfectly to where we are that still speaks 2,500 plus years later to us and where we are. And some of the same misconceptions that you and I may have about God and about a relationship with God and what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a part of a church that they were having at this very time. And as we look at these first um, four verses here, five verses um, in Haggai chapter 2, I want you to look back and see where it says in verse 12, Haggai asked him, if a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? Does it become separated? Does it become holy to the Lord? The priest answered, no. But then he said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body who has now become unclean touches one of those things, does it become defiled? And he says, yes. The priest replied, it does become defiled. And this is what I believe that Haggai is trying to get them to see. And the first misconception I would tell you today that I believe many times you and I have is that being in holy places and doing holy things makes us holy. Because see, this is what they were doing. They're like, we're working on the temple. We are working on a holy thing. We are going every day to a holy place. Our life is being spent right now building this thing that's going to be holy. It's going to be separated to God. It's going to be this place where where, where um, God's presence is going to be. But the reality of it is for us that being in a holy place or working on things that are holy or doing holy things don't make us holy, right? The only thing that makes us holy is a relationship with Christ. The Jews had all these ceremonial laws and ways that you could become unclean. If you became unclean, you had to do certain things to become clean again. So you wouldn't be defiled. So you could go in and worship. And basically what he's saying is, listen, this is the way this works. You can't touch a thing that's been made clean. You can't touch a thing that's been consecrated, been separated out to God, been made holy unto the Lord. You can't touch that and become clean. But this is what can happen is that in your unclean because you've done something that's made you unclean. This is all according to their law, right? Then you can touch something that's consecrated, that's holy, and make it defile. So he's saying it doesn't go from what's holy, you touch it, and it makes you holy. But it does go from you're unholy, you touch something that's holy, and it becomes defiled. And when you begin to see that, you begin to understand that for us just to show up at church or go into a building or do a, or do a devotional doesn't make us holy. Just because we do something that would be putting us in a holy place, it doesn't make us holy. It would be like us saying that if we're sick, if we've got the flu, see, nobody does this. When you're sick, nobody ever tells you, hey, why don't you go get around some healthy people, right? If you've got a cold, nobody ever does that. And no healthy people want you around. What do we do with sick people? We run from them, don't we? If you're in line and somebody starts hacking into their arm or even worse, they're just, just stuff flying everywhere. Like you don't stay there. You go somewhere else. We don't run towards sick people. And, and, and you never see somebody like that's sick that comes up to a healthy person and starts rubbing up against them. Why? Because we don't transmit physical health that way, right? But we do make other people sick around us. And the thing that I want you to see in here is that just because we're around holy things, holy people who've been made righteous by faith in Jesus, just because we go to church, it doesn't make us righteous. What makes us righteous is faith in Christ. See, every one of us, because of our sin, have become unclean. The only way that we become holy is when the one who is holy touches us. Right? The one who was clean became, who became unclean so that we could become righteous. So we could become clean. Listen, 
Until he touches us because our faith is in him and we trusted him for salvation, then we're still unclean. We're still unholy. The way we become holy is a process. It's, it's got a big, long theological um, uh, word, but it's very simple, really. And the word is called justification. That by faith, we are justified. By faith, our sin is forgiven. And this is what happens. We put our faith in Christ. Justification, you can think of it this way. It is a complete work of God. The only thing we do is we receive what God's already given us. He comes in and he says, I will forgive you by faith in Christ. Our faith is in him. We're trusting him for salvation and we're made righteous because, and we didn't even do a thing to deserve it. We didn't do a thing to earn it. See, we can't earn our salvation. We can't come to a place where we've done enough church. We've done enough deacons meetings. We've done enough elders meetings. We've done enough Bible studies. We've done enough Beth Moore, Joyce Myers, whoever you want to talk about. And it makes you right with God. You can't do it. He is holy. He is other. He is here. We are here. We can't do it. The only way we are justified, made right in the eyes of God is when we put our faith in the one who justifies. The one who, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, died. Even the one who, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, even when we were sinners, he died for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And when we put our faith in him, this process of justification happens. And along with that process of justification comes a new heart. God puts his spirit in us. He cleanses us. He just gives us righteousness. And he puts his spirit in us to give us a new heart. And we begin to desire different things. We begin to walk a different path. But the thing we can't think is like these Israelites are thinking that we can go to the temple, build the temple, do holy things. I can serve enough. I can do enough good. No, you can't. I heard somebody the other day and and it was just in passing. I really didn't get a chance to talk to them about it. But they were like, you know, I've done so much good stuff in my life. I know I'm good. It's like, oh, Woo, that day's going to suck for you because you, it's going to be like, really last. And then like, dang, it's a lot different than I thought it was going to be, right? Because we can't do enough good things to get to God. We can't put ourselves in a holy place and think that somehow that holiness is transferred over to us. The only way we're saved, the only way we're sanctified, the only way we're made right is through this justification. A heart change that takes place when our faith comes into Christ and he gives us his righteousness. There's another way that we become holy, and this is called sanctification. This is a big word again, but it's very simple. Basically, you can think about sanctification being where we actually grow into what God's already given us. It's this process where Jesus gives us his righteousness. Think about it like this. Jesus gives us his identity so that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. Sanctification is the process that we begin to become more like Jesus. That we begin to grow into the identity that Jesus has given us. And so we grow up. See, justification is a complete work of God. It's something that you and I can't do. It's a, it's a work that God does in us. He does it for us because we couldn't do it on our own. And by faith, we simply receive it. But sanctification is a process where we begin to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We actually begin to be obedient to what God's leading us to do. We begin to become more like Christ as we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. We die to ourselves. We take up our cross daily and we begin to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit working in us begins to work that out of us. But we got it backwards in the church because typically what we try to do is we just try to pick the bad fruit off of our lives, right? We just try to clean them up like, like oh, whew, they can't see that. Some of you, you like got all these apples, this bad fruit, these rotten things. Like you're like, I hope they don't see that. But you know what then begins to happen is it begins to show up again. You're like, oh, dang. Right. 
And you just try to pick off the bad fruit. But until the root changes, the fruit doesn't change. And what has to change is our heart. That happens in justification. But as we walk that out in the spirit, it's the process of sanctification. And we begin to become more like Christ. There's a lot of talk in church today about salvation and justification. And we love that because it's free, right? We just say yes. But so many times this whole process of becoming like Christ gets neglected. But we're called to be disciples. We're called to follow Disciples were literally people who walked in the footsteps of someone. They followed them. They became like them. And that's what we need to become. See, one is the free gift of God through Jesus. The other is the outworking of God's spirit in us as we cooperate with God's work in obedience. Those are the ways that we become holy. We're given righteousness and then that righteousness literally begins to be worked out of us. But we can't think that somehow just by showing up in church or doing holy things, or working, or serving, or doing, that we somehow are able to attain righteousness. It's simply impossible. The second one is in the last part of 14. Let me just read the verse of 14 again. It says, Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Listen, whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. See, the problem for them was God didn't yet have their heart so that there was this holy life, right? We're working on the temple. We're doing holy things. But then when they walked away, there was this other life. And the second thing I would tell you that the misconception that I believe they were living in is that they believe there was a separation between what is sacred and what is secular. They believe there was this separation of what was holy and what was their regular life. They basically were compartmentalizing everything. They were saying, yes, I, 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 you know, I go to church, I go to the temple, I'm working here, I'm serving God. But when I get away from there, man, <laughs> I do my own thing, right? Like when you're eating and you go maybe to a buffet or maybe even at home, um, how many of you, you just mix everything together, right? Like you don't care. You can just be like, you just pile it all in one. And, and like, you're the one that makes statements, all going to the same place anyway, right? How many of y'all do that? Like you got corn dressing, you got it all just right. Looks like you ought to feed it to the dog. Some of y'all, are, some of y'all are like that. See, I like those plates that have the dividers. I like this plate because I don't so much mind if like my peas get in with my mashed potatoes. That's kind of good, right? But when the juices start mixing together, I don't like that, right? That, that that bothers me. Like when some green bean juice starts getting on my dressing, like that bugs me. Or if my oh, the worst is like if a biscuit gets soggy. That's just nasty, right? And so I like those dividers in my plate because it keeps everything where I feel like it's supposed to be. The thing that happens so many times in church is that we do that with our lives. We, we think that Jesus is a part of that plate. We think that that's our, our sacred life, right? That's our holy part. That's the part set apart for him. But then we got these other dividers that we say, this is mine. This is what I do. But see, that's not following God. That's not a relationship with Christ. That's not salvation. Salvation is when he becomes Lord of the whole plate. When he guides it all, when he's Lord over. See, he is either Lord of all or Lord of none. And we get in this thing where sometimes we just think, well, if I do enough church attendance and, and I can have what's sacred, but then I can, you know, I can have what's sacred. I can have my own thing over here. But see, Jesus invades our whole life in such an awesome way that it begins to transform things. This is how we live in relationship to God. It's not a one toe in the water kind of thing. It's a, either you take the plunge or you don't. There's no such thing as probably saved, right? Or a little saved. It's kind of like being a little pregnant, right? You either are or you aren't. 
It's just the way it is with salvation. And see, once Jesus comes into our lives through faith, there is no separation of what's sacred and what's holy. It's basically us saying that there's times and places where God's important and times and places where he isn't. Or saying that areas of our life God has a right to, and then there's other areas of my life that he doesn't. It's like saying somehow that we can get away from God almost. As if when they left the temple, God wasn't there or God couldn't see, right? It's like they walked away from the temple and God's like, where did they go? Where? Angels, go find them, right? No. In fact, I thought about this psalm. It's actually Psalm 139. And and there's so many good parts of this psalm. I can't read them all. But I just wanted to read you a part of it. Just to show, man, this is so good. In verse 1, Psalm 139, it says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful. I wonder how many of us feel like that. that The knowledge of Jesus is too wonderful for us. Have you you just been reading your Bible or writing and praying and thinking and it just hits you like, this is too wonderful for me. The gospel and the good news of Jesus is too wonderful for me. How can I possibly know this? When's the last time you've been in awe of God that you just sat back and said, this God loves me. This God saves me. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. God's blowing his mind. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. In other words, you're always with me, God. Whether I'm on the high or whether I'm in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me. Surely I can hide in the darkness because men love darkness, right? And the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. See, there is no sacred and secular. There is no holy. And then the rest of our lives, God is either all or he is nothing. He is either in us and with us and living and residing in us because our faith is in him or he is nothing. And see, we read these verses sometimes and we kind of, you know, people get freaked out because they're like, he's everywhere. He's always watching. Like he's some Santa Claus in the sky, right? He's got a list and he's checking who's been naughty and nice. I don't want him to see this. I don't want him to know what's happening here. But see, the reality of it is we should read this if we're really in wonder of the gospel and be like, thank God he's always with me. Thank God that whether I'm on a mountaintop or in the valley, he's always with me. Thank God that Paul is right, that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Thank God I never get away. I never escape his grace, but his grace is always working in me. That even on my worst day, because of my faith in Christ and his lordship over my life, number one, he is in control. Number two, I'm still his. Thank God that he's always there. There is no sacred and there is no secular. God is either all in all or he's not. See, everything that's whispered is going to be heard. This should be a scripture that reminds us, listen, what's done in darkness is going to be seen. 
We can't hide from him. And yet, even when we run away from him, even we rebel against him, this great God of ours is relentlessly pursuing us. What an amazing God. But I would ask you this, is he Lord of all? Since he Lord of your children. I wrestle with this all the time. I, I keep giving them to God, but I keep trying to take them back. Right? Maybe I can protect them better than he can. Maybe I can provide better for them than he can. Do you know when I have peace is when I say, God, they're yours. They are yours. How about in our, in our finances? Is he Lord? Is he Lord of our, our wallets, our pocketbooks? Is he Lord? Would, I, would our spending show that? Is he Lord? Is he Lord over our marriages? The way we treat our spouse, the way we talk to them? Is he Lord at work? Listen, is he Lord when you're just around the guys? Is he Lord, ladies, when you're out on girls' night out? Is he Lord? Is he Lord of all? What are you holding back from him that's hindering you from the abundant life that God desperately desires to give you as you walk in him? Haggai chapter 2 verse 15. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on the other in the Lord's temple. So think about this. Before you began to build, before you began to work on this temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. He says, I struck the work, all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. See, God sent all of this stuff to try to get their attention. He didn't do it to them just so he could punish them. He did it to them trying to get them to look to him. And for many of us sitting here today, we need to realize that God has been banging on the door of our heart for a long, long time trying to get us to come to him. And the third point, the third misconception that they had, and that I believe many of us have, is that life works apart from God. And it doesn't. Life doesn't work apart from him. Why do you think our country is headed in the direction that it's going? This country that so many men have sacrificed for, right? Why are our school systems in so many ways heading in this direction? Because we've told God you're not welcome. Life apart from God doesn't work. It just simply doesn't work. See, this is the phone call I never get. Preacher, I just wanted to call you and tell you how great my life is today. My marriage is better than it's ever been. My kids, man, they love the Lord. It's amazing. My job, man, I'm seeing people come to know Christ. I just wanted to say, this is awesome. Now, the phone call I get is, I don't know what's going on, but my life is falling apart. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it's bad. My marriage is bad. My job's bad. My dog won't let me pet it anymore. Basically, my life has become a country song. And, and, and I get that story. And then, inevitably, I'll ask, well, what's changed in your life? And I can almost guarantee that at some point, there was a turn away from God. At some point, there was some decisions that made them pull away from the church or pull away from a relationship with Jesus. 
And I'll ask him, this is a question I usually end up getting to. What were you doing when you felt the most joy and you felt the most alive? Well, I was doing this, 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 and this. Are you doing that now? No, I would suggest you start doing that. And it always leads them back to God. And I can't tell you how many people have come back and go, that's the best advice I've ever been given. I'm like, that was common sense. That's all that was. That wasn't even like a thus says the Lord. It wasn't like thus says the Lord, continueth in what thine used to do, right? It was just, I'd do whatever I was doing when I was the happiest and had the most joy. And not everything might not have been perfect, but he sure did experience life a lot better, right? I'd go back to that. And so we need to realize that. We need to understand that life work, life does not work apart from God. There's a huge misconception that somehow we can separate it. Somehow we can do what we want to do. We can go our own way, keep God in our back pocket like a lucky rabbit's foot, pull him out when we really get in trouble, and somehow he's going to work everything out. But life does not work apart from God. The last one, verses 18 and 19. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? See, they're still in this place where they don't really see. See, so many times, this is what we want. We want to be able to, to, to become obedient to God one time and him fix everything. Like right then, it's almost like a McDonald's drive-thru. Like I want a number three. You get a number three, right? Sometimes. We, we just want it right there. And, and they've been building the temple for a couple of months now. They've been working maybe three, four months. And here's the thing I would tell you that they're not seeing it yet. But we got to walk with God. Listen, you didn't get in the situation you're in overnight. You're probably not getting out of it overnight. Guys will be like, man, I've been making her coffee every morning for a week. She's still cold as ice. Well, how long have you been a jerk? About seven years. Probably going to take about that long to get out of this then. Right? And we need to realize, we need to walk with God. That wasn't even the point, but it was need to be said. He said, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. But listen to this. This is huge. From this day on, I will bless you. Why? Because they begin to walk in the ways of God. See, here's the thing that we begin to have a misconception about is that obedience is optional. Obedience isn't optional. We're called to be obedient. See, grace is not a crutch to do whatever we want to do. Grace is a catalyst to become more like Christ. It's a catalyst in our lives. It begins to fuel us and fill us. And God will begin to bless us as we begin to become obedient. As we begin to walk in his ways. And I believe that as we begin to walk in the spirit, you begin to see that. It doesn't mean that the consequences of our sin um, aren't still there, right? It just means that we begin to see things in a different way. Many times it's not our circumstances that needs to change. It's the way we see them. Many times it's our eyes that need to be open to a different way of looking. It's realizing that I can't do life without God. I can't do life without his people. I need to surround myself with different people and I need to give my life to God and allow him to direct it. But I believe there's two ways or two reasons that we're blessed. The first one is, it's just practical. It's like the advice I gave those, these people over the last few years is just go do what you were doing. 
Right? It's just practical. Biblical principles just lead to a better life. There's leadership books written based off of biblical principles, right? You do the Ten Commandments, you follow the biblical principles, your life just seems to go better. Why? Because that's the way God designed it. The second one, though, is supernatural. Because, see, here's the reality God can do more with what you have than you can. God can always do more with your family, with your finances. He can always do more for his kingdom, with your job. He can do more with with whatever you have than what you can do. We have to become obedient and walk in that. Listen, I want to real quick just define what I believe this looks like. Because so many times we hear that God wants to bless you. Send your thousand dollar seed and you'll get 10 in the mail this week. Send your $1,000 seed and I'll send you an anointed prayer hanky that'll heal all your ailments. I'll send you this bottle of water if you'll bathe in it. You know, it'll take care of whatever. Right? And, and we hear that kind of thing. But I want you to understand the greatest blessing is not thinking that somehow we've got a magic mailbox that money's just going to appear in. The greatest blessing is when we become obedient, we get to walk in God's purposes for our life. We get to follow, we get to be a part of God's plan for redeeming the world. We get to be a people who reflect God's glory in this world. And then as we walk in his purposes, it means we live in his presence. In an awareness of knowing there's nothing better than knowing that God is with you. Even when your circumstances aren't right, even when things aren't perfect, when we're walking in his purposes, we have confidence. When we're walking in his purposes and we know his presence is there and we're being obedient and we're not walking away from him, we're walking with him and he's walking with us, holding us as we hold him. He gives us great confidence as we face this world. It gives us great confidence knowing that if I'm stepping in his purposes, And his presence is going with me and I'm following him. And listen, I don't even want to go if he's not going. Then this is the other thing I can tell you the blessing is that we have peace in the midst of it all. So we have his purposes, his presence and his peace. And that is the greatest blessing of God that we find in obedience. As we walk with him, as he's with us, we're fulfilling his purpose. We're fulfilling his will. We're doing what he tells us to do. And I can tell you, man, over the last 14 years, 15 years, I've taken some steps that scared, you know, what out of me, like scared me. And I knew that God was telling me to do them. The latest one, and I know people probably look at my life and think this guy's nuts at times. The latest one was back in um, April. I'm riding down Lakeview on the way to my house going home. And I felt like God said, sell your house. That ain't gonna work, God. The economy is not very good. You know, things, there's houses aren't selling right now. And so I felt like he said it. I called Susan. I said, I think we're supposed to sell our house. She's like, oh, thank God. I think the reason he told me is because she'd been praying. And so I called a friend of mine and I said, hey, let's put the house up for sale. I'm ready to do it. Let's do it. We had tried a couple of years before it was on the market for about six months. I think we had two, maybe three people look at it. And that was it over a six month period. We put the house up for sale, never a sign in the yard, nothing. And within two hours of it hitting the market, someone called the real estate agent. So we want to look at it tomorrow, right? And, and I was like, that's cool. Let them come on. You know, Susan's like, ah, right? And so they come and look at the house. Within three days, the contract is signed and they're bought the house. 
Within two hours, basically, our house, it was sold. I was like, ah. And so yesterday, we moved all day. And guess where we moved? My parents' house. Because <laughs> we got no place to live. Like, we don't even know what we're going to do. But this is the thing. Like, through it all. And last night, I was laying in bed. And I really had to just trust God with this. I was like, all right, God. I'm 38 living with my parents. The only good thing with this is I don't eat Cheetos. I don't have a PlayStation 3 and they don't have a basement, right? And I'm like, at least I'm not that guy yet. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I got three kids in the room next to me jammed in on three twin beds. I'm like, I really don't know what's going to happen. But this is the thing I can tell you. I know that I'm walking in his purposes. I know that his presence is with us and I have peace in the midst of it. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what God's plan is, but I know he's got a plan. And this is the thing I can tell you. And we talk about this a lot. When you take your next steps with Jesus, you, you, you find his purposes, you find his presence, and you find peace. It's not that you don't have to continually give it to him. You do. But it's just a different way of living. That's why the, the first disciples of Jesus were called the way. Because there was a different way of living. They didn't live according to the world of that day. They lived according to what God told them to do. The greatest way to live our lives is to listen to God and do what he says. Listen to God and do what he says. And see, this is the thing I know today, that there are a lot of next steps to be taken in this room. There are next steps that need to be taken in this room. There are things you know that God has put in your heart, maybe even while I've been talking about this, that you know I need to take a next step in obedience to Christ. What is it that maybe you need to lay down to him? You need to give him. What is it that, 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 that you need to take a step and do? I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know this. If you'll pray and ask God, he'll show you. It might be starting to do something. It might be stopping doing something. What is it that God's, maybe it's, maybe it's getting marital counseling. Maybe it's, it's, it's uh, starting to pray and read with your kids. Maybe it's going into work with a different attitude. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I know that there's next steps represented all across this room. For some of you, it may be coming to a place where you take your next step and you say, God has spoken to my heart. I need to receive Jesus. I've been around holy places and done some holy things all my life, but he's never become the Lord of my life. Because I've separated what is sacred and what's secular. He's never really been the Lord of my life. And for some of us, we need to come to that place today. For some of us, there's something that's hindered us, not from the justification we've come to Christ, but that sanctification, growing in Christ. There's some obstacle in our way that we need to say, here it is, God. Take it. What's your next step? What's your next step? What's your next step? Right now, I want to give those who are here, but you don't have a relationship with God through Christ. You've never come to know Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity just to receive what Jesus is willing to do for you for free, for nothing. You, you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You'll, if you sit there and say, I'll clean myself up before I do this, you'll never get there because you cannot become clean enough for Jesus. You just have to receive it. But today you say, I've never received that before. And today I know I want Christ in my heart. I want God. I want him to be the Lord of my life. Because I know God, life doesn't work without him. I want to serve him. I want to glorify him. I want him to be Lord. I want him to call the shots. You've never done that. You say, I want to know him. This is what I'd ask. I want you to put your arm up, put your hand up in the air and let us celebrate you coming to a relationship with Jesus today. You say, yes, I need that in my life. Would you be honest enough to say that today? Yes, I need him. Well, this is the other thing I know. Give you one more minute. Anybody? There are many next steps that are represented. 
many obstacles. And when maybe it's, man, listen, I know I've, I've started separating God from parts of my life and I need to surrender that to him. What I'm going to ask you to do today, you know, there's a next step. I don't know what it might be. It might be as simple as serving. It might be getting baptized next week because you haven't been baptized as a believer in Jesus. It wasn't your decision or you've never been baptized before. And you want to be baptized next week. That might be your next thing is to walk out these doors and go sign up. But this is what I would ask. If you know there's a next step for you to take in your life, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and we're going to pray and then we'll be dismissed. But I want to pray for you that today God will give you the courage to take that next step. So I'm asking you to stand to your feet. There's a next step you know you need to take. Stand to your feet and let's pray. Let's believe that God will give us the courage and the strength to take these next steps, to advance the kingdom, to take new ground. That's what this church is called to do, is to take new ground, not to retreat at the face of opposition, but to take new ground. And we do that when we take next steps as individuals and as people um, joined together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, I thank you for each person represented. God, I thank you for the next step you've called them to take. And God, I pray that even if they are unsure, even if they don't know, God, I pray that they would just boldly take that step, trusting you. God, you never promised that everything would be easy, but you did promise that you would be with us. You never promised to deliver us from the fire, but you did say, I'll take you through it and you'll come out better on the other side. Lord, I pray right now that each person would have the courage to take that next step. For the one who right now is struggling, um, God, just with feelings of worry and fear, I pray, God, that as they take this step, trusting it to you, God, that you will begin to speak peace into their lives. I pray, God, for those who are having family struggles, that you would begin to intervene, God, that you would begin to set things right, that you begin to work in heart so that forgiveness can come and bitterness can leave, God, that you would begin to do a great work. God, I pray for each one of our sanctification, whatever that looks like for us to become more like you. I pray, God, that you would work that out in our lives as we cooperate with the leading of your spirit, as we walk in your spirit, as we trust not in the power of our might, but in your spirit to work in us and through us as we cooperate and yield our will to yours. God, I thank you for the blessings that come in our obedience, the, the, the walking in your purpose, walking in your presence and walking in your peace, God. Lord, we love you and I thank you that you are the Lord of all of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.